Hello and welcome to Fat Zone Film. I am your host Hannah Ogilvie and this is the podcast where we discuss all things fat representation in film, TV and wider media. This week I have a returning guest. Yes, she comes back. She comes back from School of Rock episode. We have writer Caitlin Magnell Cairns. Hello, Caitlin. Hello, Hannah. It's so nice to be back. Oh, I'm so glad you are back. School of Rock was a really well-received episode. I mean, I'm still getting people messaging me now going like, oh, I love School of Rock. or putting on their stories. So love, love, love the um, support we're getting from the listeners. But yeah, School of Rock, we loved. We, I think we indulged in our love for School of Rock. Yes. And then this week, we're going to do something completely different. What film are we doing this week? We are doing 10 Cloverfield Lane. 10 Cloverfield Lane. What I'm going to get, in, well, we're going to get past all the synopsis and all the like bubble we do at the beginning. And then I really want to get your thoughts on this film. So it's 10 Cloverfield Lane. We, it's a 2016 sci fi horror thriller directed by Dan Trachtenberg. It's his directorial debut, which I think is so impressive. 100%. And he, yeah. Yeah. And so he went on to do Prey, if you've seen the Predator prequel from this year, which I really, really enjoyed. So, I mean, at the moment, I feel like whatever he puts out, I'm going to be watching, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's written by Josh Campbell, Matthew Stuken, and Damien Chazelle of Whiplash and La La Land fame. And I was like, oh, did not see that coming. Um, and so basically it was being written as a just like a as your standard kind of horror thriller type and then when Bad Robot J.J. Abrams production company got involved that's when they put the Cloverfield spin on it Um, so it is a spiritual sequel that's how they've coined a spiritual sequel to 2008's Cloverfield and this film made over 110 million dollars at the box office it you know 100 million dollar film not to be sniffed at and it stars John Goodman. Hmm. King. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> King of Kings. King of Kings. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I have always, always loved um, ever since um, Final Destination 3, Scream Queen, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and also Mrs. Ewan McGregor. So I'm also slightly jealous of her as well. And oh, I've really balls up my research here where I've like, I can't remember what the other guy's called. There's only John, three. It's, it's John Gallagher Jr. And I know that because he was in the original cast of Spring Awakening, which is one of my favorite musicals. And he's a, he's I yeah I have a real soft spot for for John Gallagher Jr. So. Oh my god! Well, I appreciate. I mean, I was actually there's three <laughs> people in this film, and I blanked on one of their names. But I didn't realize he was a Broadway guy. Yeah, he's like he's a, and he's a singer as well. Like he's got a really Ooh. amazing voice. So um, yeah, no, he um. But he was another big joke. Like when uh, we'll get into it, but when the film was coming out, he was uh, one of the reasons I wanted to see it because I'm a big, a big fan. Oh, okay, fantastic! I did, had no idea of his history there. That's that's awesome to know. Um, so yeah, Caitlin, can you let us know what is Ten Cloverfield Lane all about? So uh, again, I uh, find it hard to summarize things. So I've turned to my trusty friend Google, and I thought this was quite a good. Summary, so it says, after an accident, Michelle finds herself in a bunker with Howard, a stranger, who informs her that she is safe with him and that the world outside is uninhabitable. Left dazed, she decides to escape. And then everything unfolds from there and it's Mm -hmm. a chamber piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as you said, there's only three characters on screen. Um, There was, I can't remember, somebody really famous, um, was her boyfriend at the start? Who is it? Is it Bradley? No. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Bradley Bradley Cooper. Cooper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
uh yeah so it, it basically takes place in this bunker yeah um, yeah and it's it's a thriller uh-huh it's it, it, a thriller through and through when so the big thing of this film that came out was uh no one knew it was a sequel to 2008's Cloverfield until that title dropped and it, you know the, the way the graphic works is like 10 and it like drops down doesn't it and it's like Cloverfield like under the ground I think it's a really cool graphic were you excited that we had a sequel to to, to Cloverfield so this is again like another <laughs> right like thing out of left field I've never seen Cloverfield <gasps> I've never seen Cloverfield and so the reason oh. I went, <laughs> I will, I will rectify this. But I was like, Please. should I watch this beforehand? Mm. But then I thought, no, actually, it's. I think it's cool to come in as someone who has not seen. Yeah. Um. Because the reason I went to see this film was because yes. of all the reviews. Because they said you don't yeah. have to see Cloverfield. No. As you said, it's a spiritual like sequel mm-hmm. or successor. And I went, okay, right, I'll give it a chance because I'd never seen Cloverfield. So I can't say I was excited because it was a sequel. I was interested to see if I would have missed out on anything having not seen Cloverfield mm-hmm. um and I don't feel like I did I think it stands on its own mm-hmm. as a film but yeah so that's how I that's where I'm coming at this film from as somebody who's, who's not seen Cloverfield I find that so fascinating because <laughs> I was such a Cloverfield head so flashback where it's 2008 Cloverfield is coming out and the marketing campaign for this film was just next level very similar to your Blair Witch marketing where they like you know pretended this was real they set up these like you know social media accounts for these people it must be MySpace back in the day and they were uh, these websites you could go to and it's the websites that own the satellites and the satellite has apparently fallen into the sea and awoken this deep sea monster and there's like theories of it is it a deep sea monster is it an alien I was so in this like world I thought it was fascinating I just loved I loved like that the film's universe expanded off of the screen mm. and it was so I just found it so interesting and I I love 2008's Cloverfield I think it's a really fun I love a fan footage film anyway I think they're they can be really imaginative and and oh hold on my cat's gonna jump out the window where would me <laughs> no moving I literally could see it in my camera I could see I was like oh, she's up to something I was like <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the windows I've got they're open so wide so, so I don't die it's closed now you can't get out <laughs> honestly yeah so I was really into Cloverfield then um I think I mean as much as like probably the cast is a little bit problematic now because you've got like what's his name is it TJ Miller oh god yeah 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 Yeah, he got he got done so um yeah he's like the cameraman so you don't actually see him very much but like um Lizzie Kaplan is in it and I'm like I love her love obviously love yeah um and yeah I just think it's a really really fun fun film but it's quite a dark ending so then I don't. I think people will had been asking for a sequel, like you know, especially like an origin. We wanted like clarity where this monster came from, blah blah blah. And then this film drops, and from looking at IMDb, I think it, the trailer dropped before like a Transformers film or something, and no one knew this was coming. It was really, really hush hush, and it's so different. Where the first film is so obviously sci-fi, it's driven by this monster, it's like you know, an escape the city type film. You have this absolute character drama thriller and we'll get into the plot, but I love this idea that you actually don't see anything and it's, you know, 
Michelle, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, has to just take John Goodman's Howard's word for it, that, oh, there mm-hmm. are aliens or there is a threat. But you would you believe him? I don't know. And that's a question I'm going to pose to you when we get into it. But I just find it really interesting that that film would have think always would have been successful because it's such a high quality film. I think the performances are amazing. But putting on that Cloverfield stamp when, okay, we're going to get not only your your casual viewer just being interested mm-hmm. in a random thriller, we're going to bring in this Cloverfield people who are, who are like who are like me, who are just obsessed with where is this story going. And I think ultimately, like, I don't know if it actually works as a Cloverfield sequel because of that ending is so tacked on. Yeah. But we'll get into it. And I'd love to get your interpretation of that scene when we get there because you were coming in cold yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, that was a lot of I mean before I saw it because I tried to avoid spoilers before I watched it I was I saw it in the cinema I actually ended up going to see it twice in the cinema um Mm. um the second one was very much like we're going to the cinema we're going to see this and I I said oh I've seen it already but you know what I actually really enjoyed it so I'll watch again um yeah, we'll talk about the ending. It's it does feel like um tacked on, but I don't I don't think I hate it as much as some people I think did. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's really interesting. I think maybe, maybe there's something in there about expectations, but mm, we'll yeah. get into it. So the plot of this film, we are first introduced to Mary Elizabeth Winstead's Michelle. She's clearly in a rush, she's packing up an apartment. Um, she's like wondering who uh, she goes to call someone, but we don't hear her speak. It's all very like, you know, it's all about the score at this point. We can see there are seamstress items in the background. <laughs> yeah. There's like a there's like a body form, there's sewing needles. And I literally wrote my notes. I doubt this is plus size clothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somehow, somehow I don't think it's plus size clothing. I don't, I don't no. think it is. But um, but I just love like that, you know, like a bit of character, like, oh, this. You know, it's like um, Chekhov's mannequin. Like, oh, this might come in <laughs> handy later. And she leaves. Um, she leaves with a bottle of whiskey and leaves her keys and an engagement ring. And she pulls up to a petrol station to fill up her car. And a ominous black—no, not black—but an ominous truck pulls up behind her. We don't get to see who's in it, but it's very like mm, suspicious truck. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so she pulls away and then she gets a call from fiancé or ex-fiancé and it's Bradley Cooper's voice. Now, I wouldn't have recognised Bradley Cooper's voice personally, so I didn't read that until I read the trivia. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I think that's because of an alias connection, because he was an alias and J.J. Abrams did alias back in the day. So there's that's why. Anyway, massive crash. A car crashes into Michelle we tumble and it's actually a really cool scene where like it's mm. smash cuts between her like falling in the truck and then like with the credits um it's super loud as well that scene I can only imagine the cinema that was like quite deafening <laughs> yeah I think it was quite I mean I'm quite uh uh easily I I don't know I would see with like scary things it, I don't really get like scared but it's like sure. that kind of really loud noises like yeah um, if there was, if I was in a theater and like uh, in a scene, a gun would go off, I'd be the one who mm. like screams. Like I, I can't <laughs> deal with anything like that. Like popping mm-hmm. and sudden loud noises. That's not my jam. I don't get why jump scares are seen as like, oh, you you jumped at the loud noise. Like, well, yeah, I meant to. 
I'm like evolved to jump at loud noises <laughs> like if you're not jumping you have no like self-preservation within you exactly yeah <laughs> yeah when it's when this actual thing does happen when the world mm. ends you know we'll be the ones the screamers will be the ones who survive <laughs> that's it that's what I'm banking on <laughs> <laughs> So, Michelle, she wakes up all of a sudden in a very concrete-esque room. She has a leg brace on her right leg, on her knee, and that is then tied to the wall. How terrified would you be? (laughs) I mean, like, I just would be like, this isn't, this isn't real, am I dead? I don't know. Like, it would be, I mean, the fact there's no windows... You'd be scared enough without being like chained <laughs> that you're like, yeah, oh, right. Okay. This is, this is, this is definitely sinister. Um, yeah. Oh God. I don't even know. I would just be screaming. But not only again. is she chained, <laughs> you'd, you'd be screaming again. Just Caitlin is forever screaming in this film. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be a very good film because it would just be me screaming the whole time. <laughs> Caitlin, have your eggs. <laughs> 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 so yeah like what I find really she's not only tied to the wall but the the big like door that they've put on this on this room she, like is locked from the outside so your gal cannot get out regardless so it's just it's so intimidating obviously there's like a makeshift IV uh stand I guess and this is where we get to get to really understand who Michelle is our gal is resourceful Mm-hmm. she instantly gets the IV um uh, well actually no I think Howard comes in doesn't he and gives her the crutches yes and she he tries to tell her that like everyone's gone um yeah so Howard comes in and he gives her food and the film takes a long time to actually show us Howard's mm-hmm. face John Goodman um it's very intimidating we only see some legs uh <laughs> <laughs> and, and then eventually like he he shows his face he is um this you know stub, stubble slight beard growing in um I guess that's to give you the idea of like maybe unkemptness mm-hmm. and I can't remember exactly what he says here but is, is it along the lines of uh you're safe but everyone else is gone at this it's point some, it's something like yeah it's something to do with that is it, has he spotted is she trying to get on her? Is, I can't remember when she's looking at her phone. Um, so is at this point. So she uses the IV. Yeah, she uses the IV stand to right, grab to the foot, yes. the gra- grab her jeans, grab the phone. And again, I find that really interesting. That decision that he actually leaves her phone with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think if you were to kidnap someone, which at this point that's what her assumption is that she has been kidnapped. Why would you leave your phone? Or why would the person leave your phone? And my instinct was, it's because he knows it's useless, either because we're deep underground as it as it transpires, or even if you could get signal, no one's going to answer you because everybody's dead. And I find that really sinister. It's weird. It's almost like, I don't know, the fact that it's like a par thing, I think, even to ha- like. For him to be like, I don't need to take your phone because... Yes, that's exactly that. can't... Yeah. 
And actually on that, like this entire film is about power and struggle Mm. and who's in charge. And straight away, you're already given like, oh, you, you, you have the means to escape in the normal world pre-apocalyptic world but now you're in my chamber my universe this is howard's world that he's built well this won't save you your old your old means will not save you now and i just i find that so scary (laughs) it's so scary and like yeah it's it's interesting the power thing i'm gonna talk about later like the idea of family the idea of like oh yeah the idea of Mm -hmm. all of that but just to go back to i suppose when john goodman first comes in and and uh we don't see his face and we hear Mm. these heavy footsteps and Mm -hmm. it's that thing of like um you know a monster you don't see which is kind of quite apt um yes for this film um yeah it's really interesting that it takes a while for us to see his face to see his humanity and I also noted he was kind of dressed like he would have been in like Roseanne so I don't know if that's Mm. a kind of that's um, a really good point nod to be like but maybe it's just like fat guys plaid shirts as well. That's also just very bad. <laughs> just, just a trope in itself. But no, yeah. But but, but on that though, he is the family man in Roseanne. He is he is the dad. Mm-hmm. It, are they trying to you know pull on that reference? You know John Goodman from this. Here he is in this, where he is quote unquote the father figure of the film. Um, so yeah, maybe they are trying to pull on those like references that people will know John Goodman from and twist them on his head because I guess this is where we should talk about it. So John Goodman is such a big actor, and I mean that in both sense of the word, right? Like he's mm. been around ever since we've been around. Um, he's been because he's done like a wealth of different films from like you know you've got like rom coms like Co- Co- Coyote Ugly legend you've got um you know the borrowers he's the bad guy in the borrowers but then you've got like these more serious films like uh argo or um oh god i'm blanking on john goodman right now let me get his um, he's, um, he was in inside Llewellyn, uh, Llewellyn davis Llewellyn davis, davis. yeah, yeah. He, was, he was in big lebowski oh of course yeah absolutely big lebowski here he is the flintstones <laughs> <laughs> The Flintstones. I mean, he's Sully in Monsters Inc. Like, I always forget that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's just like he—he he is someone who like kind of appeals to all ages in that sense. Like, he, you probably got a reference for different parts of like your mm. life, parts of ages, and then here, like, I mean, I honestly don't know if this is right or wrong, but I don't know if I'd ever seen him in something this sinister before. No, I agree. Uh, That's what, exactly what I was thinking. Is like, I although he's like a baddie in like say the borrowers, it's not actually. There's no actual threat there. There's no actual feeling of like, I don't know, sinister edge because he's yeah. usually either yeah. Well, he he's like a caricature, isn't he? In the borrowers, it's very cartoon like. It's bright colors. He's silly. Like you know, I think his mustache gets burned off at one point. Like it's like silly silly violence whereas opposed to this where and I guess from a casting point of view if if we mm-hmm. are corrected I think oh Red State again he's not he's not the villain in that but he's like the kind of I don't know stander by who watches it all go to shit um which is probably a bit more of a serious film even though I actually really enjoy that but like yeah like he's in the B movie he's in Speed Racer 
you know, like I'm just like cars. He's a voice in cars. He's in Emperor's New Groove. Classic. Ingr- incredible film. The- <laughs> incredible film. It's, <laughs> it's actually on my list because of John Goodman's character. So good. It's so good. Um, so yeah, so like from what I'm seeing, I know listeners can argue with me like, no, actually, he was he used to be like he used to be the villain in this. From my my own interpretation, like he this is like the first thing I've seen him be really, really quite sinister in and at this point we don't know why he's sinister we're not seeing anything and he keeps on saying to michelle i've saved your life Mm. like i've saved you so basically what happens is she she gets the food he lets her get have the key to come away from the wall and then that's when she uses the like pick to sharpen the crutch to like attack him so she starts a fire in her cell to like get his attention i mean she's so smart she's so so smart like she definitely must have been like i don't know in the girl scouts or something like she oh my god she was 100 percent a brownie (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. she's super super smart she's so resourceful and then he comes and she he attacks she attacks him with that sharpened crutch and she he manages to like deflect her and he instantly drugs her um to knock her out i'm like great first impression Howard you know like <laughs> fucking hell and then when when she comes to he says you've got some fight in you and I can respect that my generosity only extends so far seeing as I saved your life I think that's acceptable you're lucky you are here after all mm. and this really starts this we as the audience have to understand that Howard is using that I saved your life you're alive because of me Michelle as just this constant whip to whip Michelle and also Emmett who we're going to meet very very shortly into this family unit ideal that he is aspiring to in their little shelter Mm. yeah it's it's that thing again of control power Mm-hmm. Um, she's like I you know I didn't ask to be saved like yes. what am I being saved from have you actually saved me but as you said like because he's so insistent with it you know um, it's it's a difficult one I mean all I'm thinking is like I just be like yes thank you thank you um. <laughs> yeah well this is it because so as this conversation goes on he keeps on having to labor this point like i saved your life michelle and that's when she eventually goes thank you mm-hmm. and he nods as if to say, that's what i was looking for and then but you can see michelle looks at him as if to say like you're bonkers and again this is like you know is he this like conspiracy theory prepper person you know like I can't take his word for it. And then he goes, luckily, I prepared for this. So again, that, that prepper idea. And he smiles. Like, like I don't know, he has this almost like, look what I've done. Look what <laughs> I've built for you, Michelle. Um, and then he says, everyone outside of here is dead. And he says it's so like deadpan, like they're all gone. You just grieve and move on. But then that's when we hear the smashy, smashy, smash from outside. Mm-hmm. And someone else is also in this bunker. And oh my God, Michelle's face just lights up. Like, oh my God, I'm not on my own. And I, 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 I as, as we see this film goes on, like, I'm so happy for her that she yeah. has someone. And, and I really see Emmett. Is it, what's his name again? John Gallagher Jr.? 
Yes. Yes. I, I, was, I was like, that's not his name. I was like, yes, it is Hannah. Have belief in yourself. <laughs> John Gallagher Jr. We hear he's causing a commotion outside, but I'm just like, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful John's here. It would be, <laughs> such, a, it would be such a sinister film. Mm-hmm. I've never really thought about it without his character. You really mm-hmm. need that character um, and a third person because if it was just John Goodman and her I don't know, it would be a very different beast. And I think adding the third character really adds another dimension. Yes. It adds another, well, first of all, it adds another character to like just this dynamic we've got. Mm. But I really view Emmett as a buffer between Michelle and Howard. Like, I don't think he realizes, even like, Emmett himself until like it's almost too late how much he is protecting Michelle. Yeah. And again, like, I think. I, I, I've been on the subreddits uh, for this film just to understand like people's opinions and um, I, again going back into like the theories again because Cloverfield was so filled with theories I wanted to know if it, those kind of theories went into 10 Cloverfield Lane and I was really startled by the amount of people mainly men who didn't understand the threat to Michelle so We'll probably get into that a bit more, but I'm just going to yeah. leave that one hanging because it is bizarre. So here's something. We haven't met Emmett yet, but this is when Howard says, you need to eat. Oh, he goes, I'm going to say the same thing that I said to him. I'm going to say to you, you need to eat, you need to sleep, and you need to start showing me a little appreciation. My name is Howard, by the way. So we've had that entire conversation. Yeah, yeah. He knows her name because he's gone through her wallet and found her ID, and we don't even know his name. That's such a good point. I just love, I love that kind of that line. That kind of, by the way, it's oh, it's so good, and the way he delivers it, it's just so nonchalant. Mm. The whole his delivery throughout, you know, in this section is so kind of nonchalant, like mm-hmm. as if like nothing is phasing him about this. Yes, yes. But again, I, I wrote here. He is trying so hard to make Michelle in awe of him. Mm-hmm. Like, she, he is constantly trying to impress. So I think you're right with that nonchalance. He's trying to be like, it's fine because I've got you. You know, you don't want to be with someone who's panicking, right? So he's kind of gone like the opposite end of the spectrum where he's like, he's so steadfast, where it's almost unhuman-like. It's almost like he's mm. excited. He has been proven correct that... The aliens have come for us, and he was completely right in building this bunker. And not only that, he managed to save this young woman in the process. Oh, what a hero is our Howard? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I think he feels like he's doing what he was he was always meant to be doing, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that uh, he seems to really get a kick out of it. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah. feel like. I mean, I actually, I'm sure we'll come back to this later, but um, do we think he was living, was he living in this bunker before? I don't think, I don't think we know, but just think of who Howard was. He wouldn't be wasting those supplies willy-nilly. So I think, I think at the very end of the film, we see that big farmhouse. I think that's meant to be his house. Uh, And then we find out that, Again, we meet Emmett at this point, and Emmett's like made a little little hidey hole for himself behind all the canned goods. Um, he's got a uh, his arm in a brace, 
And he says to Michelle that he's really jealous of her room. And again, it's this interesting perspective <laughs> because we're like, this room is like literally a cell. This is this is where girls come to die. And Emmett is jealous of that. He's like, well, at least you got that door. It's a scary door, but it's a door. What? <laughs> like, yeah. I wouldn't want that fucking door, Emmett. <laughs> but clearly as well, you're not like, like John Goodman, Howard had obviously made that room. Because why would you make a room in a bunker that locks from the outside? That's what we're saying. <laughs> that, that is purpose made. Oh yeah, it's purpose made, 100%. But again, I, I think Michelle is going there in her mind of like, where the fuck am I? But Emma is really much the male point of view. He doesn't mm. understand why a single female would feel threatened in this situation. He's like, oh, well, I mean, it's a scary door, but it's a door. And that's when we realise that Emmett's here by choice. So when mm. Michelle has been dragged here with, without her consent, without her knowledge, Emmett has busted his shoulder trying to get into the bunker door because he helped Howard build this bunker. So he knew that Howard had all these supplies, had all this, like, you know, provisions and um, on the feature right of the DVD, there's actually a timeline of how they built the bunker, which we can oh, get wow. to at the end. Yeah, it's really cool. And But then again, from Michelle's point of view, this is like validation of, oh, maybe what Howard's saying isn't crazy. So you actually mm. need, you need Emmett's point of view in the film to add this extra level of like conspiracy and power play where like is this true is there really like a nuclear war that's happened above you've got Emmett saying there is and he's like a mutual third party but really like oh I just think that whole um what would I say chaos or I don't know confusion not knowing who's Mm. telling the truth is so well played by adding in Emmett's character 100% and I just had a thought here like because one of the thoughts I had throughout this was kind of about the choice of of, uh, casting and the choice of who to put in these roles but you have to wonder if Emmett looked like John Goodman um, would she believe him or would she strike up a friendship with with someone who like was the same age as John Goodman, the same size as John Goodman, mm-hmm. or had the same energy. If you know, do you know what I mean? It's like it's an interesting thing to have Emmett be like similar age, uh, mm-hmm. conventionally attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, because she goes, Oh, you're you're a normal person. Yes. I recognize you as a person, so mm-hmm. I believe you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. You're 100 percent right. So we're meant to view John Goodman, Howard, as this otherworldly person or someone on the fringes of society mm-hmm. right and um, not only through his beliefs obviously being a prepper being a conspiracy theorist he's already like personality wise he's on the fringes but his body also puts him on the fringes and then you have so again like I guess Michelle's um fight or flight or you know judging a book by its cover she's like I can't trust this person because he's not one of my people but then she sees Emmett, like you say, conventionally attractive. He's funny. He's charismatic. Honestly, I fully have a crush on Emmett. I think he's yeah. like a sweetie. I really, really do. And his his there's something so genuine about what he's saying. And that's the thing, right? That word genuine is so 
uh, charged here? Because why is Emmett genuine and Howard not? What is it about Emmett that makes us, the audience, believe him wholeheartedly? I don't for once think Emmett's not on our side in this film. And you're not meant to. Yeah, It's not playing that game with you. But why, why does that work so well for Emmett? And why do we not have that same that same genuine warmth towards Howard. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And obviously, um, you know, Hard Hard is is the person who who has put her here, and Hard is the person who who is obviously orchestrated this and the way he acts and the way he behaves, he's not got that natural charisma. He's not like mm. um yes. but then like you wonder. I still think it would be a sinister if, again, talking about swapping, if yeah. somebody who looked like John Gallagher Jr. was playing hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't think it would be as as effective um, because of a presence and because, because it's interesting. I went back and I read the original screenplay of The Cellar, as it was called. Yes, The Cellar. Yeah, well done. Um, yeah. And it doesn't mention the hard's a big guy. It doesn't mention anything about his physical appearance. I think it literally just says hard 40s. Mm. And John Goodman must be what in his fifties, so they've aged yeah, him so, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've aged him up, and then um, they describe how she, they describe how both of them look. I think she gets called like you know attractive, mm-hmm. uh, something, something, and he, and then he also gets uh, Emmett gets called like something about attractive, or there's some words used around him as well in the script to suggest like good looking man <laughs> mm. um so yeah it's interesting how they you know about that casting decision yeah it is interesting because on that as we go in so then Howard brings them like oh let me show you around so he's showing the 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 bunker so we've got like this living room area we've got dvds and vhs tapes um there's a like, little kitchen there's a dining table there's puzzles there's magazines and Michelle's on those crutches because she hurt her leg Mm -hmm. in the crash and she loses balance and Emmett instinctively grabs to stable her as I only point this out anyone would do right (laughs) Uh, like fully anyone would do right I have a story right (laughs) this is really this is honestly it's not embarrassing to me but I can imagine the person that's happened to finds it really embarrassing so I I started a new job just a few years ago and just before I started that new job I broke my leg I broke my ankle, fell down the stairs. It was a whole thing. And I had to go to this new job on crutches. And, you know, that's how people found out, like, oh, like, I need to meet Hannah Ogilvy. Who is it? Like, oh, it's the girl in the canteen with crutches because she's broken her leg. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> we, and we had this away day um, to this, uh, it was like a really nice office um, somewhere in Sheffield. And the the conference room was at the top of this building and there was no lift access to the top of this building and I'm like first of all rude second of all I'm sure that's illegal um (laughs) so I had to crutch up these stairs now I had someone in front of me I I cannot remember who this person was um but he was carrying my bag and I had this person behind me he was a project manager and he was uh, I think he was just there for like moral support behind me and at some point during this hike up these stairs, I lose balance and instinctively the guy behind me tried to yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. stable me by putting both of his hands on my arse. 
And the thing is, like, if in in no way was it sexual, it was literally like, if he doesn't help me, I will fall. (laughs) And so, so, and I remember it so instinctively because I remember he, like, as quick as he could, he like removed his hands, you know. And again, it's just like such instinctual. But then I know he was thinking, like, oh my god, I don't want to get done for like sexual harassment in the workplace. (laughs) It really made me laugh for ages afterwards. And then that man became my line manager. (laughs) Oh my god. And honestly, he's absolutely the sweetest person in the world. Um, and I really, really liked him as a manager. But we never spoke about it. Never ever spoke. I mean, no, of course, you, don't, you shouldn't really. I mean, how does that come up? You know. But I just, I have this such big memory of like he was just doing what he could. <laughs> Bless him, and he saved me. He did save me because otherwise I'd have got double and dead my other oh leg. My so. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I I related <laughs> to this very micro moment <laughs> in Ten Cloverfield Lane. So, yeah, let me say Emmett, Emmett, you know, puts his hand out to stable uh, Michelle and Howard yells at him and he says, keep your hands to yourself, understand? No touching. So, you're Michelle Caitlin. What are you thinking in this moment? Um, oh God, I can't. I, I probably would start crying, crying and screaming. This is like you're finding out a lot about me. I'd be like, oh, I, I, I don't know. But if I was Michelle, I don't know. I'd be thinking. I'd just be thinking, what the f- like, what the fuck, like, mm-hmm. why, what, like, again, and and why are you loading this interaction with that yeah yeah because it's so not sexual or sensual it's not it's not romantic it it, and that's why I find it so that's why I relate it to my experience so much because it's not it's in no way like a no a romantic moment it is like oh I'm just you know helping a fellow human out but Howard yeah like you say adds this level of like nuance which isn't there and it's he's so intimidating when he shouts this at them Mm -hmm. and it very much is this father figure chastising his children but I remember when I was watching it thinking like oh um is is Emmett a wronging you know, like, is is mm. how is Howard protecting Michelle? Like, is that where the film's trying to make us go? Because I was like, oh, you know, you know, when they keep doing that thing there in films where they make our our killers super charismatic, so you don't see it coming, like our yeah. fresh with Stan, Stan Sebastian. Um, no, the other way around, Sebastian Stan. <laughs> don't have two first names as your name. <laughs> Stan Sebastian sounds like a like a really nice beach resort. Like, I want to go to Stan ba- Sebastian. <laughs> That's his next endeavor. When the acting all dries up, he's gonna he's gonna open this like gorgeous resort. Stan Sebastian. Sebastian Stan. Yeah, so so I didn't know whether that's where the film was going and Howard is actually mm. gonna turn out to be the good guy, but obviously, <laughs> spoiler alert, that's not the case. So yeah, and again, like it's this idea that he again it reads as well that he's so starved of human interaction or human contact that he views that as something to be jealous of and that's what it is is it's, it, it it says jealousy like you can't touch yeah. her because I want to touch her <laughs> grim it's so grim oh my god yeah and just the whole I mean the idea that he somehow views them as kind of children but then Definitely. also has these ulterior motives and has these other 
things that we come to learn about him is so mm. horrible yeah it's so sinister and that's the thing right because the film could have easily have done one of those two things but it's the <laughs> fact that he, they do both they really double down on the grossness you know like <laughs> you think you hate howard you're gonna really hate him <laughs> you're gonna be yeah, really... not only yeah exactly. not, yeah not only is he like a kidnapper um <laughs> so <laughs> he lets her go to the bathroom um in the bathroom is interestingly in his bedroom and uh she wants some privacy and he says well i can't trust you not to burn down the place this is for my safety and then he says i'm not some kind of pervert and i'm like Chekhov's pervert because <laughs> <laughs> uh Howard Howie come on <laughs> come on Howie <laughs> I-, I love the ducky shower curtain yeah. it's so cute it's very cute and this is what this film does so well is these lighter moments um compared to the dark and I read in the trivia that there's a montage we're going to get to where they have like a family montage where they're doing puzzles and they're doing magazine questionnaires and watching films and apparently the studio asked for that because they wanted some light against the dark because otherwise it is just so dark (laughs) and depressing so um I think those little elements where you have like the ducky shower curtain are like really well placed because you know (laughs) the film's gone hey you're confronted where you need to like piss and shit next to this random Howard guy here's a ducky curtain <laughs> oh god yeah no exactly but I actually think that's that's interesting about that montage because I really like that montage and I actually think that's probably one of the only times I've heard of a studio intervening in a good way mm, we're like that's a really good point yeah yeah I think that levity is needed yes yeah that's a, that's a really smart point because yeah we often hear like oh the studio asked for this change and we've had to do it but maybe maybe they're not always wrong <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> maybe different perspectives are a good thing um I guess it depends who's making those perspectives we see that yeah there are magazines and Howard says oh yeah those magazines were Megan's and she's not with us anymore is what he says and obviously like you're meant to take that mm. as she died right whether she died before now or whether he's saying he died because of what's happening outside we don't know and then he goes off on his little bit of a rant where he says, you think I sound crazy. And then he explains how like crazy is building your arc after the flood has already come. And which I, I think is a really good line. Um, and then he's yeah. like, oh, we need to meet Frank and Mildred. So they go up to the top of like the kind of grand entrance of the bunker on uh, ground level. And we see that he has these two pigs that are kind of like off, off to the left um, that are rotting away um some obviously something has happened to make them die in this unnatural way and he says they weren't as lucky as you so again it's this constant reinforcement you should be lucky michelle you should be thankful michelle that you're in here with me but Mm -hmm. michelle clocks his truck in the distance and it has red scraped paint along the side of it so now we understand it was howard that run Michelle off the road. Exactly. So, side note, get the pigs in the bunker. Where are the pigs going to shit if you let them in the bunker? In the in the to, the toilet the ducky toilet. <laughs> you, do you, do you want to toilet train these pigs <laughs> in this time of emergency? <laughs> but uh, they'd be cute. Well, I don't know. No, but no, imagine- no I- 
<laughs> I fully hear you. They sh- they would be absolutely cute. I love pigs. Pigs all the way. But in in this, you know what? <laughs> Howard should have been more proactive and built a bunker for the piggies. Exactly. Like a, and then he could have, and then if he really wants to be sustainable, he could have eaten them. He could he could have bred them and then had this constant chain of like piggies to eat. He's this is not a vegan podcast. <laughs> So I apologize to any vegetarians or vegans listening. There should have been like underground farm. Underground, yeah. You know what? I bet if he had more time, that would be the next level. Not good enough, hard. Howard, you know, B plus. Try better next time. <laughs> so that's when this is where we find out that Emmett knew Howard, and he says that Howard worked uh, was in the navy, and he worked with satellites. So that's our connection to Cloverfield. So Cloverfield. The theory around that is that there is this satellite company, and I cannot remember what the satellite company is called, but a satellite has meant to have fallen uh, into the ocean and awoken the Cloverfield monster. That is the theory, and you can kind of see it in the film. And so for the marketing of Cloverfield, they had like this, this company had a website and it had like, you know, breaking stories, like an oil rig has gone down in this part of the ocean, blah, blah. And this, I think the oil rig was also owned by this company and Howard works for this company. And that's our connection. So uh, (laughs) and we know that Howard had hired Emmett to help build the place. And then Emmett saw the attack. He said he saw like a bright red light. And he knew that everything Howard had told him while he was building this bunker with him was true. And he fought his way into the bunker. This is when dinner is served. And we're getting, I don't even know what it is. It's some kind of pasta dish and the sauce is, you know, it's fine. And he says that he's not a great cook. And he kind of implies that Michelle should pick up the cooking. Mm. And I was like, oh, how sweet. I love how we're going to keep this like, you know, patriarchal roles in this bunker <laughs> fantastic exactly yeah because doesn't he, doesn't he say about megan is it megan megan, megan. Be, yeah you're right megan used to do the cooking and then emmett says something he's talking about his regrets regrets <laughs> yeah. not getting a tattoo and uh you know he's making michelle laugh he's he's trying to lighten the mood and again like if I was Michelle, I'd be so thankful for Emmett. Oh my god! So yeah. so thankful. He is just really trying his best to break the tension, warm everybody up. But Howard shuts it down. You know, um, he 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 said we don't we don't appreciate we as in Howard and Michelle don't appreciate your incessant chat at the table. And I think from a Howard perspective, he doesn't understand why why Emmett is so appealing to Michelle. Mm. because Emmett hasn't done anything Emmett hasn't built this bunker Emmett hasn't saved her life Emmett has just is just being a silly silly bastard at the table talking <laughs> about tattoos and he doesn't understand how she laughs at that but won't won't show that same warmth to him exactly yeah it's such an interesting scene it's so intense again uh, it's so horrible in a way where just when he does those little like oh when he th- you just have a feeling he could flip at any moment. And I think that's what's so good about John Goodman's performance in this is yeah. like it feels yeah. like a loaded spring being pushed down mm-hmm. that could just like go off at any point. A hundred percent. And Michelle notices this. And again, this comes back to this idea of like Michelle as a character. She is so observant and she's so I wouldn't say she's great at playing 
off of Howard or or manipulating him but she's good enough that um, it's interesting because I don't think Michelle thinks like into the future very well mm. I think she's like I, I can so in this moment is when she sees the keys um on uh H- Howard's belt she's like I'm gonna make a play for the keys and you know make a run for the door and so she plays up this flirtatious behavior with Emmett to rile up Howard because again she's viewed this and mm-hmm. she's like, oh, okay if I can get him angry get him in my face I might be able to swipe the keys off him but my god Caitlin I was um, it's just so it's such a tense scene and when she grabs Emmett's hand I was literally like girl no holy shit like I <laughs> Howard is you don't know you don't know where his end is you don't know him enough no. he literally the thing we've completely forget, forgot to spoke, speak about he has a gun on his hip oh yeah the <laughs> entire time so like it's just this constant intimidation like what if he just like you know takes the gun and shoots you you don't know so I think from that point of view it's like I understand She's smart to to play this card, but I'm like wondering from a place of like, yeah, but you don't know where it might end. But maybe also Michelle doesn't think, well, if I die, I die. Because I think this, that's it, yeah. yeah. It's a desperation, isn't it? It's like yeah. God, right, I may as well take this one shot and show if mm. I if I yeah, if I die, I die. Um at this point, I think because I just think I was like, Why are you doing like what are you doing? Like I mean, what are you doing? Like, You're crazy. Stop. As you said, like it's just like, no, please stop. But I think for her, she's like you know not I'd rather be dead but it's just like yeah if if I die I die but at least I've tried to get at out least of here. I've tried yeah exactly I think you're right that desperation you've got to at least have tried so yeah she grabs its head and Howard loses it like flings up on the table you know and pushes but not pushes her like physically but like you know, pushes her into the wall gets in her face and says what exactly do you think you were doing and then um, he goes, are you trying to insult me in the shelter that I built that is keeping you alive? Is this how you repay me? I have shown you nothing but hospitality and I've, I think maybe generosity, but I've put a typo mm. in my quote. It's just so fascinating, this idea like, he he believes he's owed something. Now, we don't know what that is. Like, at the moment, it is it is presented as respect mm. but I definitely think Howard is expecting something more <laughs> yeah I, yeah exactly and again like you know we're being around the bush purposely because the film is too but I think there is a fear from Howard that if he, if she gets closer to Emmett there wouldn't be she wouldn't get close to Howard and that's mm. what he really wants. And so Emmett, like as we said earlier, Emmett is this buffer for Michelle, but he is an obstacle to Howard. But I, I also think Howard recognizes that he needs to keep Emmett around for now to kind of keep her sweet because yes. he could very easily just kill Emmett or like, you know, say Emmett tried to escape, Emmett, Emmett left. And just like he has the resources to kill him, to get rid of him. But he chooses to keep him around because he knows that will keep, I think you can see that it will keep Michelle sweet in a way. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that before. So yeah, he he views Emma as a as a tool, as a tool to placate Michelle for now, and then eventually, you know, he's going to bide his time. It's interesting because 
he's impatient with Michelle and her like lack of warmth towards Howard mm. but at the same time understands he might have to play a bit of a long game while keeping Emmett and yeah if we if we go back to what we were saying before before Emmett's introduced if this film was if this film never introduced Emmett um it'd be a very different film but it almost like speeds up the family camaraderie part because you have Mm -hmm. the extra person to help to like support buffer ensure nothing creepy goes down you know like because that's coming it's coming it's coming (laughs) it's coming so our michelle gets the keys and she smashes the bottle of whatever is like orange soda across howard's face uh she runs towards the door emmett is pleading with her not to go out there. Uh, Howard is chasing, and we see <laughs> she gets to the door. She gets like through the like makeshift airlock, and there's a car with headlights, and there is a woman who's like bashing on the door, asking to come in, and she's got sores all over her face, and that that is when that's the reality for Michelle. Like, oh, this mm. isn't no, these aren't just fake pigs that Howard has put there strategically. No, no, no this is a real woman who is living and breathing. Tr- you know, screaming at me to be let in, let into what she believes is her prison, her tomb. The woman gets more and more erratic, and then she's just like, "Oh my god, bitch!" And then smashes her head against the door. So it's really like, "Oh, we, we, it's not good out there. You don't want to be out there." Don't want to be out there. I was just thinking, like, how did that? Like, what was the audition process for that woman? <laughs> That is such a good question. I actually saw though in the trivia she plays. I think obviously meant to be playing a different character, or maybe not. But she plays a um like news anchor in the Cloverfield Paradox. Is that the third oh, one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh god, shit! So I'm not saying that. I just I I heard lots of people just be very disappointed on Twitter when it came out because obviously Ten Cloverfield Lane, everyone kind of was like, Love. "Oh, it's really good." Yeah, like really. Um, yeah, I guess I've only seen it once where I've seen the other two multiple times. Mm-hmm. It's utter shite. The CGI is terrible. It makes no sense. It's a waste of a fantastic cast. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's not worth any more than that. I'm, if I'm honest, it's a real disappointment. <laughs> it's a real disappointment. So... So Howard brings Michelle back down and he now admits to her, I crashed into your car. Your accident was my fault. He was driving like a maniac um, and he tried to pass Michelle, but obviously it didn't didn't work. And that's why he felt like he couldn't just leave her on the side of the road. Would you buy this story? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Absolutely not. Because he should have said that from the very beginning. And the fact that he doesn't and he purposely withholds it until he knows he's defi- she has definitely now seen his car, that's mm-hmm. when he admits, oh, no, no, it's just an accident. And I'm like, hmm, Harry, that's not how it's, that's not it. We know, we, we know, we know that that's not what happened. He uh, asks Michelle to shower because, you know, maybe like some of the particles got through like this makeshift airlock. He says it might not be completely airtight. And he gives her some of Megan's clothes to dress in. Mm. <laughs> Gross. Um... Graham. He wants her to stitch his gash that he has on his face from the orange soda bottle. 
And then he says that Megan was smart, shows Michelle a picture of this young girl, maybe, what, 15, 16 years old? Yeah. And he says, her mother turned her against me. And again, that's really interesting because for me, I I think that it implies that, like, his obsession with the bunker, with the prepping is what drove them away. But did you Mm. have get another reading from that? So it's interesting. So I... Because it, it kind of does like a double thing where, first of all, you think, oh, he, uh, he's a pervert, he's a pervert. <laughs> and then you think, <laughs> oh no, it's his daughter. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, so do you still think, I, I had the, I made the assumption that it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't his daughter. So the picture isn't his daughter. The picture that we get shown isn't his yes. daughter. No. But he does have a daughter. Right. Okay. So. We'll get there, but I'll I'll explain it better in a bit. Hold on. So this is where we find out Rochelle had an abusive father. This she's talking mm-hmm. to Emmett about this. She's opening up to Emmett. She had an abusive father and a brother who protected her where she could, where he could. And I was like, well, here's history repeating itself, Michelle, <laughs> because you've got an abusive <laughs> daddy in Howard, and then you've got a protective brother in Emmett. Come on, wake the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> she also we also get some handy backstory with this with the stitches where she says about her sewing about her yes um because she yeah he's like oh she's like oh I, I'm, I can't remember if he brings it up or she brings it up but I think he brings up he says like oh obviously like your seamstress skills or your fashion designer skills yeah. came in handy you're right yeah and again yeah, that- he also says about her uh watch color liking Paris Megan likes Paris Megan likes Paris. Yes, when Megan like wants fashion. to grow up. Yeah, when Megan wants to grow up, she wants to be French. So, and like, so she's got, she's got like a, a Paris t-shirt on. It says like, Jem, I guess maybe like Jem Paris or something like that. So this is where we move into like the family montage. So we see that uh, Michelle's dolling up the really creepy room. She's putting a lampshade. I think it's a French themed lampshade. <laughs> We're putting, you know, changing light bulbs. We're, you know, putting flowers in, magazines. We've got puzzles being made on the coffee table of a of a cat in the in the little goggles. It's really cute. Um, we've got films. We've got cereal being eaten. Now this is really interesting. This is when I noticed that Howard and Emmett have shoes on, and Michelle is barefoot for most of it. Oh. And I don't know why. I couldn't find anything of why that would be, but I really noticed it. And I was like, why have the why have the men got shoes on? That is weird. I wonder, I wonder if it's because well, yeah, because then surely if Emmett came to the bunker, he didn't come with like a full thing of I mean, did he come with a suitcase full of clothes and shoes? Maybe he did. Megan might not be the same shoe size as Michelle. So it's <gasps> a really good point. Yeah, so maybe that's why. I mean, I, one of the tributes on MDB was like they say that Michelle's often barefoot, and um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, just would wear flip flops when her feet were not in shot. So I just, but again, like they don't say anything for the men. So yeah, you're, that's a really good point. Though maybe she didn't have other shoes to wear if Megan was a younger person and arguably a smaller foot size. We've got the needle drop of I think we are alone now playing which is again that's really fun that's really silly and stupid and I think that's a really good choice we get the uh, marshmallow fluff sandwiches 
this is one of the foods we see a lot in like American media. These this marshmallow mm. fluff jar that people put in sandwiches, and then in this one they're putting peanut butter on it, and it's called apparently called a fluffer nut sandwich. I've heard of that. Yeah, I cannot think of anything more gross in my life. <laughs> I think it sounds. I I think if you were to like toast like a to- like toaster. Uh huh. <laughs> no, you. Good. <laughs> you're you're rough that is <laughs> i can't i the it's the jar of marshmallow like it looks so grim to me i yeah i initially thought it was like mayo and i'm like what consistency is this mayonnaise i would try it i love mayonnaise so i would try because i'd be like what's what's going on but it's all oh, it's the marshmallow stuff so any listener who has had marshmallow fluff as it is or a fluff or not sandwich please let us know you know i'll put it as a question on spotify so after this, you can you can let us know if it's actually good or not because i'm dubious so alarms go off the air filtration the air filtration system is uh on on the fritz what we're gonna do <laughs> some reason this big man has built an air filtration system <laughs> which is inaccessible to him i did think that i was like what are you doing what are you doing like your man so so but i actually think i don't know whether it's a goof or whether it's just like you know um suspense written into the plot which makes no sense so you know, sometimes you have to do it or whether this proves that Howard always built this bunker with the intention he would always have someone young with him. Mm. So he built it to be inaccessible by him. Yeah, but he was like, well, I'll always have a little girl with me. <laughs> and that's the sinister bit. <laughs> I think you're right. No, I think, I think, I think that that probably is the case where he's like, well, no, I'll always have someone who could fit up there. Yeah. Um, I don't need yeah. to do that. I don't need to do that. Um, so that's really, really dark. Um, so Michelle goes in, she she, you know, sorts it out, like it's like the on-off thing. Um, and she sees that it's actually not, there's another escape, there's another fire escape at this point. So she goes up, climbs up to the top, it's clear, beautiful skies. You would never know there was something going on out there. Um, but she sees it's been something scratched into the glass, and it's help with some blood some blood kind of prints all over it when she comes back down she she finds an earring which had been used to scratch the help but that earring looks familiar that earring was from the girl that was on the picture which Howard says was his daughter Megan uh oh you're the thunk yeah uh oh which I was like I've got to tell Emmett Emmett's my guy he will he he needs to know this so they get the picture he's like you know he, she explains oh like um this earring it was on Megan and and I was like, oh no, like Megan, I, I knew Megan. Yeah, they, they left town however many years ago. She's like, well, I saw this picture. She gets the picture, shows it to Emmett. And I was like, that's not Megan. That's Brittany who went missing <laughs> from my high school a few years ago. But the cops just thought she skipped town. Now, kids don't just skip town, cops. <laughs> do they yeah i'm like that's where were her parents like, where were her like, parents like come on 16 years old they don't just run away from home like that they need money they need things they need their social security numbers they, they can't just skip town skip town yeah it's yeah 
I, I kind of, not blank left this, but I, I think I fundamentally did not understand and or listen, because I've seen this film at least four times. <laughs> I never thought he had a daughter. No, he totally I, does. He totally has a daughter, because then the Polaroid so falls silly. out. No, you're not silly at all. So the Polaroid falls out with the book, and that's with John Goodman and the Skittle, and that's Megan. So, oh. so, the tr- so Megan and her mum do leave Howard at some point. Again, Howard says it's because of his obsession. Now, we as an audience are meant to take that as an obsession of like the conspiracy theories, the bunker. But now we know he's kidnapping other young girls to make them play as his daughter. I think his obsession is actually his daughter. Totally, yeah. So that's really dark. So they're obviously, (laughs) Michelle are like in a state of like absolute like fight or flight. Holy shit. This guy has murdered, literally murdered someone. They know, they know this girl went missing. He said to Michelle's face, this is his daughter. We know it's not. And Howard comes in happy as Larry because the air filtration system's working again. He puts on the jukebox. He starts twerking. I know. <laughs> this bit's iconic. I'm like, I was like, throw it back, Howard. Holy shit. It's like it's so left me. I'm like, yes, yes. Okay, like, go on. Like, <laughs> go off. Go off. I know, <laughs> to be fair, the, the jukebox is very... Um, you know, I think that's a good addition. What I was going to say, like, I want this might be a good time to bring it in, but I think it's really interesting that, in terms of we're talking like three about fatness, mm. that hard is seen as being very like capable in a way yeah. because he he put all this together. It's very impressive. I know he had help, but I find it interesting that, um, obviously, like he's being positioned as like uh, a conspiracy theorist or a you know. But in terms of practically, he's not a slob. He's not a, um, he he works hard. He clearly is a manual worker. He clearly, so I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing for me to think about. It was like, mm-hmm. he's not being positioned as, as a kind of useless slob. Mm. He is practical. He is capable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that very interesting. It's a really, really good point. Actually, I think it's interesting how we've got this far into the film. And we actually haven't spoken a lot about his actual fatness and how that plays into his character and to the character tropes. So you're right. He is absolutely not lazy. He's a pro he's clearly proactive. He's clearly, you say, capable, skilled, highly skilled. And also, like, he's super smart. Like that is mm-hmm. you cannot take that away from him. And I find when we talk about fat tropes, fat stereotypes, there are two ends of the spectrum that comes to fat intelligence. You have the incredibly stupid fat person um so i i literally just dropped an episode on the office and um have you seen the office i've seen like episodes of it sure so there's a character in that called kevin and he like he is so so stupid like to a point where there's a running joke for a few episodes where one of the characters actually thinks he's mentally disabled i mean they use the they use the r word like so So you have that in Homer Simpson, that kind of trope. But then you have the super, super smart fat person, like, you know, like your fat nerd stereotype. Yes. Um. So, I mean, it was like a really niche reference, but I'm thinking like Smart Brother from Undercover Brother. You have Nedry from Jurassic Park. Like 
you have those that other end of the spectrum and i think i think howard falls into the other end of the spectrum of 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 smart fat person and i'm not like i'm not art like angry <laughs> that there is a fat smart guy on screen i'm never going to uh, be angry at that but it's interesting how where they've gone he's physically potentially at a disadvantage so he can't fit into his air vents that becomes incredibly important at the end of the film he cannot fit to turn back on his own air air filtration system he has to rely on other people of other body types to do that but they have kind of balanced that off with but he is super intelligent and he did design this place and he was also Mm. most importantly correct right he really revels in this idea that all of the conspiracy theories all of the work he's done his career that you know working for the satellite company working them um, being in part of the navy have all been correct because he is like the end of the world has happened mm-hmm. and i find that really it's one of those things where like i actually think it's a positive for fat representation but then to twist that so again it's like it's like they give you with one hand and take away with the other right because (laughs) like he's super smart yay and then they go he's a pervert pedophile so which (laughs) one would you rather (laughs) exactly it's like okay great yes exactly and i i I did write this question to you like as a prep Mm -hmm. for this one because again this rewatch with this lens i was really struck with this idea of larger male bodies being associated with perversion so you've got here you've got john goodman who is a pedophile and it's and i again this is gonna be like well mary elizabeth winstead isn't a child blah 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 i'm like yeah he was he was looking for a child he just happened to find michelle Mm -hmm. that's that's the only reason why michelle's here right he was like you know the end of the world's happening i need to go grab my victim and she just happened to be there so yeah so he is absolutely a pedophile and this is the thing where like on the subreddits they're going no no he he just wants another daughter I'm like no 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 no, no he was no. Go- he was going to sexually assault her that was a hundred percent the plan and that's a hundred percent the plan he did with Brittany and we we don't know but there is a case we said he was doing the same to his own daughter exactly yeah exactly I think you're right and I think it's interesting her bot because she is obviously very petite yes very slim yes fits into the clothes of a teenage girl oh my god such a good point yes yeah you're totally right so so yeah so back to the back to my question so we have uh john goodman howard associate uh, pedophile perversion um the human centipede too the the antagonist of that film he is a fat guy and he's like like other upper echelons of like sexual depravity are being shown in that film there's a a a fat man who's a victim in one of the saw films and he's a pedophile but then on the other end of the spectrum you have or the softer end of the spectrum i should probably say you've got kevin from the office like i say he he's um quoted as being uh like his computer had to be thrown out because it was riddled with like porn and then or like hitchcock from brooklyn 99 he's like really sexually perverse and so I've got all these examples and I don't know mm. why. I don't, I, I, do you have a theory or like, I don't know, just a thought on why we use this body type to show sexual perversion? Well, I suppose it's like, it's that thing of, there's one hand where it's like these men are never going to be able to have sex unless it's in some way 
coerced mm. or yeah that the, or that there's a power imbalance they will never be able to look at a woman as an equal look at a partner as an equal it almost feels like it always has to be a perpetrator and a, and a, and a victim or um an observer and uh the thing being observed the person being observed so it's, it's an interesting one I think it's also like to do with bodies living outside you know as we said earlier he's on the margins he's on the fringes of society um there's something about being an outsider uh and fatness but mm-hmm. I also think it's interesting comparing this to School of Rock which mm-hmm. has um because I think it's interesting how both the films that we've we've talked about have had fat male yeah uh, characters at the center of them and it's interesting because I often obviously when I think of fatness through through my own lens or through my own thing I think of like fat fat woman Mm -hmm. or fat them presenting people but it's very interesting because Jack Black's character in School of Rock he calls himself sexy and he is uh, you know as an audience member he is very sexy like you know he's very charismatic but he doesn't he doesn't have sex in that film he doesn't he doesn't have he does a little bit of a flirt with Joan Cusack, but it's all very like jokey jokey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to come to this where it's like, yeah, this end where it's like a pervert or a yeah, it's 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 very interesting about desire and fat male bodies and um how yeah, any 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 effect that they do have is from them coerce, you know, it being coercive in some way. Mm-hmm. Um it's not seen as a mutual attraction because why would anyone willingly have sex <laughs> with a man yeah. with a body yes a hundred percent I think you're really onto something there is this idea that like the only way that they could partake in sexual activities is if they force the person into it because no one would would willingly be attracted to them right and I think oh that is so dark because that's, yeah. <laughs> that's not reality. And again, it's reinforcing the, the beauty standard. It's reinforcing like who can and who cannot have sex. We see this with, with fat women in sexuality. We see them as either like virgins or like overly sexed to the point where like mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. So I guess in, in the male, the male potential counterpart to that is that they have to be predatory in order to get it. And I, I guess, you know what, even to go to like super bad for a second, mm. like Jonah Hill's character, he's like, I have to get Emma Stone's character drunk. That's the only way she will have sex with me. And I, I totally appreciate that's meant to be a comedy and it's a teen, like teenagers think, but it's the same idea, right? It's just, they can't, she can't willingly consent to this because she would never i have to ply her with alcohol in order to get her to to drunkenly consent which is no no longer consent that's not how that works so i I, i'm i'm gonna keep an eye on this representation as we do other other shows i'm thinking i've got hot fuzz coming up Mm. and i watched that film last night and again like nick frost isn't in I mean, to be fair, like it's really homoerotic between Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and that. <laughs> uh, but like, there isn't any like sexual partner for Nick Frost in that, that he's not even flirting with anybody. So yeah, I think I'm gonna keep an eye and see like how that plays through because it's. I really noticed it with this watch of Ten Cloverfield Lane. Mm. Uh, don't get me wrong, like I, I, it's one of those things where like, from a casting point of view. I think it's really well casted, like having Jodgen Min in this yes. role. Like we, say, we associate him with like other 
happier, lighter films. And here he is being a sinister, pervert, murderous pedophile. <laughs> it really works, right? That 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 really works, that real dark turn from him. But then you add it in to the sides of his body. And I, I, I say this with air quotes, but like the repulsion that his body mm. is meant to convey. Um, so not only has you know, uh, Michelle got to like potentially live her life with this man who wants her to her to be his daughter while also in some kind of sexual relationship with him. He's also a fat, ugly guy. Cool. Yes, yes, but yeah, exactly. It's I, but I, I think I think it's interesting to try and picture a, a thinner actor yes. or a thin actor in that role I don't think it would be is there's something about his size compared to them and a, and it's I, I think mm. it's a really powerful thing I think it's a really interesting thing mm-hmm. um his sense of of um physically and also just in his presence like there is a he's just a big presence he's a he's a commanding presence and I think his size adds to that um mm-hmm. But yeah, if you think if you try to think about similar level actors, maybe like a William H Macy or like I don't know someone like that playing that character, um, it would still work. But I just think it it would not work as well as as John Goodman. I think, um, yes, and I think his size is a, is a bonus to that. I think it's it's um, it adds a presence, adds something. Yeah, you're you're totally right because I'm just imagining that that change, and. I don't know if, if this is correct, but I view William H. Macy as quite a short person. I don't know if that's actually true. Um, but yeah, I think I think you're right. It wouldn't be as intimidating. It wouldn't be as aggressive as it is with, with John Goodman because, because there is so much to the guy. He mm. literally takes up so much space and it becomes even more claustrophobic. And... And he, like, you know, I mean, he has always commanded the camera, commanded the screen. T- you know, he 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 does that naturally just with his talent, with his, with what he brings forward. But his his body also does that. And it's almost like a gravitational pull. Like, mm-hmm. OK, but I am the center. I'm I'm physically dominating this. You know, like if Emmett or, you know, I, I could imagine Emmett and Michelle, you know, could try to overpower him. But I wonder whether he would actually win because he is so much bigger than the two of them. So not only has he got this gun, not only has he got the keys to the shelter, not only does he know how everything works. You know, for example, say say if Emmett Michelle had overpowered and, you know, got rid of of Howard in some way and they continued to live their lives in the shelter, how long would it have been until it fell apart again, until Mm -hmm. one of the other systems you know conked out and they they wouldn't know how to fix it so he he is the master of every element you could think of in this situation and Mm -hmm. his body almost like presents that as well that it's like the physical manifestation of it and so in some ways like as much as it wasn't the original plan for it to be a bigger actor to play Howard John Goodman's natural body lends itself so well to what they're trying to convey that isn't I'm I'm really like I actually don't know whether I overall like it or overall don't like it because I think there's yeah. so much good and bad going on 
I think ultimately I just love John Goodman yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah so like and and I think um I remember very similar to the constant conversations we have around horrors and the Oscars you know with Tony Collette should have been nominated for hereditary I saw so many people saying John Goodman should have been nominated for 10 Cloverfield Lane because mm. he is so good in this film terrifying terrifying so scary like yeah and I again just to echo just I love I love John Goodman what a honk like like literally like the 80s 90s John Goodman in his like baseball cap with his t-shirt that's like mwah, chef yeah. kiss. exactly absolutely absolutely so back to the film this is where Michelle decides we need to get the fuck out of here and she hands Emmett the magazine where she has drawn a hazmat suit or a makeshift ha- hazmat suit on one of the models. But before Emmett sees the suit, he goes, 10 better ways to style my bags. <laughs> we stand Emmett. Yeah, like you do you. So yes, yeah, so this is when her seamstress skills come in. They like, you know, uh, make Howard uh, throw out the ducky shower curtain. They steal some scissors. They steal some like uh, like sewing needles and thread. But what I find really funny about this is they are talking so loudly about this plan. And I'm like, this is not a big bunker team. Like, Howard can 100% hear you. Like, you know, be smarter. And then we move into Articulate. They're playing Articulate, the game where one person has, uh, could be anything, could it be the media, nature, whatever. And you have to get the other person to guess what it is without saying that word. And it's Emmett's goal, and he's trying to get... Howard to guess the book or film Little Women. It's such a clever scene. Yes. So he gets li- so Howard gets little straight away, but then Emmett goes, "Oh, Michelle." And Howard keeps going, "Ghetto child, little ghetto child, girl, girl, little princess, little princess." <laughs> and that timer, the bell goes off for so long I was like oh my god it's so awful and then you know it's all it's little women and Howard goes oh we'll try being a little more specific <laughs> like hello so again so if there was if there was any doubt as to who Howard was as a person, you have this scene to really clear. He does not view Michelle as an adult. He views her as a child. He views her as a little girl. And children can be manipulated and into horrible, horrible things. And it's fucking gross. Then it's Howard's go. And he he starts going like, I'm always watching. I can see you when you're sleeping. And Emmett's like getting He's like, oh my God, he's heard our plan. He's heard our plan. And then it's actually, oh no, it's Santa Claus. Michelle is fully like, Emmett, keep your fucking cool, man. Like, <laughs> I know when you're awake. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, the little princess bit just awesome me, though. Like, it's like, a really awkward moment. What thing is like, I love when he's like, what, what film or TV show or book is Little Princess? Little princess, <laughs> I think he just the princess like, yeah. bride. He was thinking of, but like again, like he's he's very a very warped man. Let's just say that that's a very nice way of saying it. That's a very nice way. Yeah, um, I'd love to know what the videos and DVDs. I wonder if they're all like children's or family films and DVDs they have. Well, he is watching 
pretty in pink at one point or is it or is it 16 candles like i remember one it's a yeah, molly ringwald film. oh pretty is it pretty in pink is it pretty i think pink? he's watching pretty in pink so that's like a that's like a teen film yeah but, then, but at, at the same time that kind of would track for like um his age like he might have watched it when he was younger so like it's not like it's not like he was watching i don't know snow white i don't know i'm trying to think of like a really children's film spongebob like <laughs> that would have been really good though if he was watching spongebob if he was watching like something super like you know something like okay no adult should be watching this unless you grew up with it and you certainly did not john goodman <laughs> uh, so he gets uh michelle's in her bedroom bedroom cellar prison and uh, he says oh I, I need your help with something and he goes into the kitchen living room area and he says to Emmett you on deck so you know in case there was any confusion he did used to be in the navy and he gets Emmett and Michelle to k- pull out this barrel of stuff mm-hmm. and he explains that it's some kind of chemical it can dissolve almost anything with humans it can dissolve you to the bone and then he uh, he's putting gloves on at this point, and he asks, uh, well, he takes out these tools. It's like a box-cutting knife and I think some scissors. And he's like, why did you take these? What? Did, why did you take these? Emmett takes the blame. He's like, oh, no, it's my idea. I wanted her to respect me the way she respects you. And I and I am sorry. I'm sorry. And Michelle's like, no, no, no. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. This is my fault. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the punishment. And Harrod takes his gun out and shoots him in the face. Yeah. It's a very good scene because, I mean, I, I think it's the way that they shoot it where, like, you're, the camera's focusing on Emmett and then the gun comes just slightly into mm. shot and it happens so, so quickly. And as an audience, I'm thinking Michelle's fucked. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was her... Last. That's her lifeline. Yeah. Yeah. And instant, instantly, Howard changes his personality. He becomes this, like, no, 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 no. No, that's fine. Like, trying to, like, hold her, console yeah. her, like, like, I guess, a father to their daughter. He was trying to hurt us. He was trying to hurt us. But we're safe now. We're safe now. This is the way it was supposed to be, is what Ooh. he says. Yeah. <sighs> And he tells her to go into the bedroom. I'll clean this up. Like, as if it's like a oopsie daisy. She spilled something, or like, yeah. She Don't spilled worry, her milk. Okay. It's all right. Daddy's got this. Oh. So she goes into her room. She's carrying on making the, the, the makeshift suit. And she hears Howard coming. So she, like, you know, tries to hide it all away. And Howard has shaved. And put on a nice shirt. Is your skin crawling? Yeah. Immediately, I was just like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> like um, you look very nice, John Goodman, but I, I have a nerve. I have a nerve. Unnerved. Fantastic word. Yeah, because I'm like, why have you done this? Why have you tried to make yourself look nice? I'm like, it's disgusting. It's gross. And he says. I was thinking we could have dessert before dinner as we can now do whatever we want. And I'm like, oh my God, like Emma isn't even cold. 
he isn't even cold and he is like completely enacting his evil grim plan yeah yeah it's oh my god like and you just realize like how much Emmett was keeping him from being a complete and utter psycho. And again, it maybe maybe there's something in that about like men policing other men when it comes to like the treatment of women. Mm-hmm. So you know how you say like especially now, especially like post Me Too movement, there's this real encouragement that men should be calling out their friends for being like sexually leering or sexually harassing assaulted whatever it might be call it out daniel sloss the scottish comedian has a really really good line on this um Mm. and he was saying like you know because if you just let it go go oh it's just it's just dave like oh it's just dave's being silly you're allowing you're enabling that behavior and so it could get to a point where the worst could happen and all of a sudden you realize actually you hold a bit of responsibility there because you didn't call it out mm-hmm. and it, it's the same where like with it with anything like this where you need allies to validate the experience like we need men to be calling out the experience that women are going through and I wonder in this specific film because even though Emmett doesn't outwardly call out Howard because he there's nothing to be called out for but just by Emmett's um, presence, by Emmett's being a man, a younger man, he manages to temper Howard's, mm. like, I don't even know, creepy behavior. And as soon as that person is gone, as soon as that other man is gone who could police him, he's let off the leash. Yeah, totally. And I think it's interesting because. Really, Hart could have Hart could have done this at the very start because what was Emmett going to do? Um, but then Emmett, you know, I think Hart knew that Emmett would probably be like, "That's not cool. Mm. Um, don't do that." I don't know. It's 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 an interesting thing, and the fact that um, yeah, that Emmett is a young is a young man, uh, clearly, you know, doesn't have the same views on. Well, he sees Michelle as a woman. He doesn't see her as a child. Yeah, and he sees her as equal. Yeah, definitely. Not, you know, I- so it's it's very interesting about, as you said, like him being there and that what what his role is in that dynamic, and then when that's removed, immediately mm-hmm. full creep mode, full creep mode. Yeah, I think I think Emmett probably didn't even realize how much he was doing just by existing. And again, like if we were to swap Emmett out with, say, like another woman, mm. it'd be again an entirely different dynamic. Again, there is something so powerful with Emmett and, and telling, and most importantly, telling with Emmett being another man. Whereas mm. um, if it was another woman, they'd probably both be at risk you kind of remove any kind of well not necessarily but most likely remove any other like physical potential threat there yeah there is there's something it's sad I think as an audience and maybe as women you can tell how much Emmett is doing throughout the film but I don't think it really lands until Emmett's then removed you go oh fuck this is what would have happened all the time if Emmett hadn't fought Mm -hmm. his way in Ah, rest in peace, Emmett. Love you. Love you so much. So he he says, yeah, so have a dessert before dinner. Do you want the cone or the bowl? Um, <laughs> it's ice cream. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't make any sense. It's an ice cream cone, <laughs> ice cream bowl. 
Um, And he says, I know this isn't the life you'd prefer, but I want us to be a happy family. Oh, God. It's so sinister and obviously it's just, yeah. And as you you said earlier, retelling of his own relationship with his daughter. um, This is how he views family. Yes, this this is exactly it. This is He thinks that this is how a father and daughter should behave and it's not because it's illegal i don't know if that needs to be i mean i guess this is a this land with no laws now so there's no police that she can run to Mm. and again and again i think that's also part of it but not that not that it stopped howard before because obviously kidnapped britney however many years ago but now he's like he's there's no one to check on him there's no one looking for michelle he he could be free to his own devices and then, oh mm-hmm. it was just so creepy so creepy anyway so dark and it's so it speaks to like i don't know your greatest fear as a well one of your greatest fears uh, when you grow up socialized as a woman because yeah. you just can't think of anything i can't think of many things worse than that like having your freedom stripped away, your dignity stripped away. Mm-hmm. And and it's, you know, uh, it's truly like a, a nightmare. Um, yeah, totally. But it's so interesting, you know, just growing up socialised as a woman in your relationship to men and and, and um, still, still to this day, like just every time you meet an, another man, you, part of you wonders, like, are you... Are you an Emma or are you hard? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's scary. <laughs> yeah, are are you good or are you bad? Like, and the thing is, a lot of the good guys don't even realize that they're actually not good guys. Like, it's uh, I appreciate the idea of like allyship is very nuanced, and I am in no way going to sit here and say, oh, an ally is this. Yeah, but it's interesting how the bare minimum of respect is construed as allyship and i'm like no you have to be a hell of a lot more proactive than that and Mm -hmm. that's that's what's interesting actually because we're we're boasting the praises of emmett but emmett doesn't even realize what he's doing like yeah so like he's not really he 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 is our ally but he doesn't realize he is and again, I think it's this idea like he doesn't realize the threat that Howard actually poses until no. until he realizes that he's actually kidnapped and murdered Brittany. Yeah, I just is it, is a lot of nuances when it comes to like misogyny and the patriarchy and like you know, I mean, this is 2016, so this is prime Me Too time. Mm. I don't Me Too happened in 2016, but I don't know whether it's beginning or the end of the year. I, I really can't remember now. So it's interesting you have that lens on it as well going on. Howard's just trying to play nicey nice with uh, Michelle. He clocks the like uh, cloth under the bed, which is of this hazmat suit. He pulls Michelle with by her hair. Oh, I don't know something about that. The hair pull it feels yeah, so yeah, gendered yeah. to me. I was like, ooh, very dominating and horrible. And then she run managed to run away, and she's running because she wants to get the like freeze stuff that he kind of shows earlier in the film. And he's screaming at her, you're going to walk out on me. This is how you repay me. And she sees, unfortunately, cut up Emma in the in the, in the the juice and the bad stuff. And she tips the whole barrel down and it, uh, Howard falls to the floor and 
gets burned alive by this stuff and he'd already said like this is not this is not fun <laughs> like so we know he's in pain <laughs> and she managed to like, get over him and we see this stuff like burn away anything in its path path and it starts a fire she runs back to her bedroom she gets the hazmat suit she gets the makeshift mask and she starts for the vents because she knows howard cannot fit into the vents she can get away here without him chasing her um and then but at the same time he's also like pleading with her you don't know what's out there you know like and in that moment you realize whatever is out there is less scary than the reality of being in this cellar yeah and that's horrifying <laughs> caitlin who is the real monster here well, there we go. yeah, that that is what this film's all about. Like, is it is it humans? Is it the aliens? Who knows? Um, so she gets outside and she sees birds are flying, and so the air can't be toxic. Whips off that mask as soon as you can. We can hear insects and birds, and like, oh, mm. it's, maybe it's not that bad right maybe it's not that bad maybe Howard made the whole thing up and everything is fine she climbs on top of the truck and she sees an alien spaceship the things explode in the shelter which attracts this alien spaceship and it drops I guess some kind of little alien down <laughs> um, to go investigate and she and she says something like, you've got to be kidding me, or something like, or fuck me. And then we have this kind of fight with the alien. She goes in uh, into the pig house and she finds the woman from before um, ha- ha- has succumbed to her, her injuries. Um, there's a fight. There's back in the car. She throws a Molotov into the alien spaceship. It explodes. And she... <laughs> She then gets in the car, she drives, we see that she comes out of the drive, the mailbox goes flying and it says 10 Cloverfield Lane, there it is, (laughs) and she is moving, I think she's going towards, it's like Baton Rouge or Houston and then something comes over the radio and it says, you know, we're fighting in Houston, we're going to take back the southern, the southern board, whatever they call it, south, southeast board. And she decides she's going to not run away anymore. She's going to go towards the fight. And as she drives toward Houston, you see a flash of lightning and there's a big-ass spaceship in the sky. And that's 10 Cloverfield Lane. (laughs) Ah, right. Trivia. (laughs) So on a featurette that appears on the Blu-ray for 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, there's a map of the Valencia Bunker, that's what it's called. So this is the timeline. So in 1992, Howard and his pregnant wife moved to the farmhouse. In 93, their daughter Megan was six months old and Howard has built the airlock, the main exit staircase, the mud porch, his bedroom slash bathroom and an adjoining room denoted as original second escape. By 1999, Megan was six. Howard had built the main space, the kitchen, the original generator room, and a second bathroom that is used as storage. So there is a second bathroom. Uh, By 2008, when Megan was 15, he had added the new generator room, which connects to the main area via the duct that Michelle crawls through. 
the sec the current second escape where she finds Brittany's bloody earrings, the storage hallway, Michelle's room, and Kyle's nook, which on the map corresponds with where Michelle first meets Emmett, suggesting his character name was once Kyle. And then in 2010, Howard's wife and 17-year-old daughter leave him. 2012 is denoted with the words Megan Prime presumably referring to Howard's abduction of Brittany. And then the timeline concludes in 2015 with the words, now Megan is 22 and in college. So I think the film does take place in 2015. Yeah, that makes sense if it's, if it's released in 2016. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's where it all kind of goes to shit. Um, so clearly this man has been building this bunker for like, you know, almost 20 years by the time the film comes out. At some point, for whatever reason, his wife and his daughter leave him. Not two years later, he kidnaps Brittany. And three years after that is where we are. So this man mm. is a bad man. So to this film's end, I'm just going to go to my questions to see if we've asked him everything. The one thing I wanted to quickly comment on was oh. that bit where Howard is trying to chase her and yeah. he's been disfigured by the burns. Yes. And that feeling of him looking like a monster <gasps> and looking oh. monstrous. And um, and I think it's almost like, oh, that's how she's always seen him. And now it's physically kind of like manifested. And it's like his mask is completely slipped off because we're seeing the like, ugly underneath it yeah it's a really good point yeah I think the ending I mean it's 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 the ending up until the alien bit I find really satisfying so I'm just like yes let's go let's go let's go um again it really reinforces how resourceful Megan is Megan was always a fighter and the thing is Howard really picked the wrong person to kidnap that night. And obviously, <laughs> I know he didn't know. I, I <laughs> to defend him for a second. He was panicking. <laughs> he was like, I've got to get, I've got to get I, I've got to get a girl in my bunker. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. And then he found Michelle. And the thing is, like, it was dark. He didn't know how young or how old she was. Obviously, she was driving age. I mean, that's that's a good enough indication. But yeah, and but he picked the wrong person. And as you know, she goes on her own journey. She talks about running away from stuff. She's run away from Bradley Cooper at the beginning of the film. She talks about her abusive father. She talks about how she's witnessed abusive behavior and not done anything about it. You know, she runs away. And in this particular example, or this particular case, she faces the danger head on, mm-hmm. even even if it meant she was going to die. And it comes back to this idea of like desperation. She was like, she was going to go die trying rather than be his slave for which that's, that's his future. That was what he wanted for her, to be his slave. And I'll power, all power to her. I'm so glad she gets out. The alien bit at the end. So. I think I understand why because it's a Cloverfield film. They pl- they slap that on at the end, so they reshot this ending to make it alien like. Um, I really think this is where the cinematography falls down. So you've yeah. yeah you've gone from like a really cool like 
one location character study film incredibly claustrophobic we go outside it's sunset we see the alien spaceship it becomes dark so quickly and i know why it's because of the cgi and they need to make it darker so it's cheaper but it's jarring how quickly it's like you blink and it's dark and it again I know CGI costs money, but they're trying really hard not to show you the aliens. It's going to cost too much money, but you can't really see what's going on. There's the the sequence between running between the cars to the to the to the pig to the pig house, back to the farmhouse, back to the car. It's really messy, um, yep. and I guess again, Chekhov's whiskey bottle comes in as a Molotov cocktail at the end. <laughs> Um, she makes that so quick. And I, I did think to myself, I was like, hmm, could I, can she make a lot of cocktails? Like, but you know what? If I was in that position, I'd give it a good try. So I, so yeah. how hard can it be? <laughs> We've seen them so many times. So I was like, oh, fair enough. So for me, it doesn't land. I think it's a little, it's rushed. It's, uh, it doesn't look good for, for my tastes. No. Um, And then I think where they really screw the pooch is at the very very end when she's driving towards Houston and you see the flash of lightning and the and the alien spaceship there's an alternate ending where instead of the spaceship it's the Cloverfield monster and I think that would have made more sense because it's meant mm. to be Cloverfield film put the monster in it and that, I think that would have been a much better ending and tie-in to what it's meant to be a sequel of than this random spaceship and these random aliens we haven't seen in the previous film. And I think for that, I mean, for me, it's a five-star film until that ending. Yeah, I yeah think it's it, really annoying. So as someone who hadn't, hasn't seen the original, how, how do you read this ending? Well, I assumed I was like, okay, well, this is obviously why it ties in in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like an ideal ending for this film would be she gets out, she looks up, we don't see what she sees and she looks like terrified and then it's just like <gasps> cut to black cut to black oh my god Caitlin that's so much better I you know that I'm, I'm a writer yeah <laughs> but like I don't think you should see them I I always prefer if you can't show the monster and show it properly don't show the monster because it, things that you can't see are I think usually so much scarier yeah, I, I you're totally right. So there's a same thing with horror, isn't it? Like you know, yeah. you, you you tease the monster, and then when you eventually see, everyone's really let down because it's not what they thought it was going to be. Your imagination is always much, so much better than the actual reality, um, and they're obviously that's not the rule for everything. It's just the rule for quite a few things where the answers just lacked. And the thing for me, just what's come to mind is Insidious. So Insidious, there's like a red demon that's like again tease at the entire film and then you finally see him and it's just like oh it's just a guy in a suit and it really let down audiences and I think the same with here where like I think a lot of people went in expecting to see the Cloverfield monster or yeah or or the Cloverfield little little monsters that are that are in the first one and you don't get that at all um you get these brand new things that we don't recognize um if anything, you know, I guess there's this idea of like, oh, well, Howard was actually right that there there was something going on, um, but but the actual fight, the these new character models were introduced to don't don't give you anything 
Mm. And I just I think it's a very interesting choice. And I think your idea of like, you know, yeah, cut to black, her being terrified. I guess maybe they wanted to show that she got out out, you know? Like yeah, they, that's true. Yeah. They wanted to show that she doesn't just get out and then die immediately by some scary thing that's outside. Um, it's interesting because going back going back to the other the third film, the Cloverfield, I think it's called Particle or Paradox. It's one of the two. I think it's Paradox. Is it Paradox? Right to I, me. I think it was originally the God Particle, and then when they Cloverfielded it, they called right. it the Cloverfield ah, Paradox. Okay. So in that film, they listened to the audience of this film because they were like, "There's no Cloverfield monster," and so at the end of the third one, they show a big Cloverfield. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's such a shit film no one cares no one cares whereas in this film it would have meant something more because yes it's such a high quality film bring it home bring it home and I do think they miss it I agree and it's it, I get it it's frustrating yeah because if they'd stuck the landing this would be like such a good such a good film as a whole instead it's a really good film with a weird ending yeah just doesn't quite hit the mark I bet there are people who don't watch the final 10 minutes when they come back to this film they probably get to the point where Michelle gets out and then cut it it's like I I never watched the teen dying in Moulin Rouge the film ends when they kiss and the curtains come down that's the film ending to me and so the film ending to Cloverfield 10 Cloverfield Lane is Michelle gets out and she gets in the car it's all good yeah yeah it's an interest it's 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 sad I think ultimately I understand why maybe this again goes back to that studio intervention we were talking about totally yeah where the film wasn't meant to be a Cloverfield film it was never written with that intention same with the third one it was never written with the intention of being Cloverfield and you got J.J. Abrams coming along going hey just slap a sticker on it (laughs) 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 put some aliens in it's no problem I have real problems with J.J. Abrams. Like, I think he... <laughs> I don't think he's as good as everyone thinks yeah. he is. He he talks a lot about the mystery. He has, like, a TED Talk about his way of writing is around presenting the audience with a mystery and just teasing it for, like, however long until you... And But then the problem is with that, and the problem is with a lot of these shows, films, is if you present a mystery, you're letting hundreds of thousands of people go and create their own theories yes and then you've got to try and meet those expectations and that will never that'll never that you'll never be able to please no not at all and so so you had that with lost you have it with cloverfield you have it with the star wars whatever it is requel um they have these mysteries and they cannot fulfill the fandom and I, i it's unfortunate because the third one, I mean, the second one, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm so ready for the next whatever Cloverfield film is. Even with this ending, I'm still really excited for the third one. And then they dropped the third one. I was like, what is this? This is this yeah. is re- really sad. Um, and I think I think the entire franchise is now dead because of how badly that third one did, which is shocking because, like I say, the first one has such a rabid fan base. This mm. people love the second one, even though. I think the third the the ending isn't isn't as revered, but it's still got people's excitement up because it was really cool. It was such a good idea, yeah. and then the yeah. third one just yeah falls apart. And 
I guess maybe you could say that with the acts as well, like the first, the second, and like half of the third act of this film are great. It's it's literally the final ten minutes that it falls apart on. Um, it's not how I'd have done it. It's obviously not how you would have done it because you've just written a much better ending. <laughs> I would have watched that <laughs> in a heartbeat. So. Let me just consult my notes to see if there's anything else I wanted to ask you. No, I think I have asked everything. Okay, is there anything I just wanted to talk about with 10 Cloverfield Lane? Um, The only other note that I don't think we fully covered is the fact that Hard assumes that Emmett and why can't I remember her name? Why we've been talking about it the whole time? Michelle. Yes. They, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They would be attracted to each other. Like that's an assumption from him. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was interesting because mm-hmm. I'm like, because they're both attractive, air quotes, conventionally attractive young people. Mm-hmm. That immediately he goes to. Oh, they obviously like. Or he he wants to do what I want to do to her, and he puts that on him. Yeah, no, it's projection. It's a hundred percent projection because because and I'm really glad the film does this. They make it incredibly clear that Emmett and Michelle's relationship is completely platonic. Totally, yeah. And I I like imagine that if they had met outside, they'd have just like you know they'd be like bar friends. You know they'd be just they'd just be buds. But because Howard has brought Michelle in with the full intention of sexually assaulting her, mm-hmm. he assumes Emmett will want to do the same. So exactly. Emmett is yeah. Emmett is competition in this. And that's why I go back to this idea of like obstacle. Emmett is competition. And if there is a competition between Howard and Emmett, well, obviously Emmett would win because Emmett is the conventionally attractive. He is straight-sized, you know, he is younger. So he has all of these. Co- positive qualities in Howard's mind positive qualities that Howard doesn't possess so if Michelle has to choose someone to sleep with well she'd pick Emmett so he has to remove that competition Mm. but he has to do it at the right time otherwise he's going to not have a hold of Michelle so yeah I I think it's a really fair point there's again it's like a lot of a lot is going on in terms of like they don't spoon feed this this to you as an audience. They're wanting you to rely on your own observations of society, mm. your own observations of what it is to be pe- people in different body sizes, ages, uh, whether you're a man or a woman or femme presenting or mask presenting, whether you're, um, you know, there's definitely class that falls into it as well. Like you talk, you know, we hear mm-hmm. Emmett talking about how he never left town and that he did have an opportunity, but he was too scared to. And there's like so there's class falling into it as well. Like, you know, the idea that he never left home, money playing into it, like he got a scholarship to uni, like all those kind of things fall into it. But it's not spoon feeding you with this. It's going, no. we need you to pull on your understanding of the world to make sense of this dynamic that we're we're, we're showing you and it's very respectful in that way it's very it it it, it believes its audience is smart enough to work out what hell's going on and that's yes. why I was surprised when I saw that people didn't realize that Howard was a pedophile I was like they didn't realize that he'd got he'd got Michelle to sexually assault her they didn't realize that they kept on saying he just wants to be a dad again he just wants to be a dad like no he 
no, you've missed the point. They're they're the Emmets before they realize what happened. So it's like yeah. they, like yeah like before yeah. they go oh god actually this is sinister this is yeah this is it and I, I and I think that really does put that shows people's privileges right whereas I think mm. I truly think every woman or every person who's been brought up like socially as a woman will read that situation for what it is which totally. is it is a threat mm-hmm. it's very similar I don't know if you've seen Barbarian on Disney no, Plus, I've, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's very good. Totally give it a watch. Very similar vibes, actually. Whether there's a bunker and sinister things have happened, but um, there's like a a room in the basement of this Airbnb, and the woman character she sees it and is it's like, oh my god, red flags, nope's out of there. Where Justin Long's character sees it and he's like, oh my god, your room. <laughs> like he doesn't <laughs> read the like sinister implication of having a room in the basement with like an outside lock on it, you know. And I, again, it really plays into this idea of like how socially different the world is for like male presenting people and female presenting people. Yes. It's it's totally. so different, and I really, even though this film is directed and written by men, they get the nuance of it same same as barbarian that is written directed by men as well but again it's the same idea like they 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 understand the nuance and that's allyship that is allyship allyship. (laughs) i was really surprised because i was like i'm I'm like i wonder if this was co-written or one of the people who wrote it was was a woman because as you said it isn't that nuanced that like i was watching it's a really good film actually interesting film about like the main character's fat it's called i like movies and i I like movies and i watched a few weeks ago and um the way it portrays kind of uh in silly film bros i was like Mm -hmm. this is written by a woman (laughs) because no man would have the self-awareness like oh my god i need to watch this oh my god it's a list um and i'd write it was a writer director woman and I was like of course you you called it you knew it yeah okay so we have come to the end of our conversation with 10 Cloverfield Lane I feel we have analyzed the shit Mm -hmm. out of it I feel deep dived I feel I we have complex feelings of it (laughs) (laughs) so Caitlin you know that we like to write our films and tv based on ourselves and how well we believe they represent fat bodies and other body types so out of five potential Caitlins, what will you give 10 Cloverfield Lane? Um, this is a hard one. I mm-hmm. am going to hmm, I'm I'm between a 1.5 and a two. Oh, um, okay. Which it seems quite low, but I think it's because for me it doesn't feel like meaningful representation. But I want to give credit to John Goodman throwing it back and just him being in this film. So let's <laughs> yes. see two. Two, two Caitlin, you make a really good point about positive and like negative fat representation there because in my mind I'm like oh well like you know it's good in the sense of like he's a smart capable guy as we spoke about earlier and but it's bad because like he's a murderous pedophile manipulator and they're using his body to accentuate those qualities so I think on that note I'm going to give it a two I'm going to give it a two Hannah's I think I totally agree I think John Goodman let's let's just caveat that this is not a commentary on John Goodman's performance no John no, no, Goodman's, no John Goodman's performance is a five out of five five Caitlin's for performance <laughs> for performance 100 percent a plus 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 but 
it's the actual fat representation and how the yes. film uses his body to, to for for negative means for negative tropes and stereotypes that is not good so actually now i've talked myself out of it i'm gonna go one i'm gonna go one hannah so did you say two caitlin's yeah let's go two caitlin's okay you do two caitlin's i'm gonna do one hannah it's quite low but it's it's a great film it's a great film it's funny because there's been so many films we've done recently <laughs> where we're like terrible fat representation like horrendous like seven we're like seven terrible for fat representation it's awful but it's a five-star film <laughs> five-star film i mean i also do have like a soft spot for like bridge jones diary yeah but... oh yeah great example there was a zero we gave it a zero because there's none there is none yeah. but it's yeah they're calling a nine and a half stone woman fat i can't i can't with it <laughs> please please check out that episode if you haven't listened <laughs> to it it's just me ranting um but yeah, but it's a five-star film. Like, I love Bridget Jones' Diary. Mm-hmm. I love Seven. But it's it's this nuance, right? Mm-hmm. This, we're Hopefully with this podcast, we've created a space for nuance where we can discuss things we really, really love, but also discuss the things we're like, oh, I wish they did that better. Or actually, that's really negative because, and there's real-life consequences to that to those representations. Um, so thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining me again for this podcast fats on film i really appreciate your support your contribution uh yeah i i really enjoy our conversations and the points of view you bring thank you so much please can you let the listeners know where they can find more of you and your work um so you can find me on twitter and instagram at 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 <laughs> kit m kearns c-a-i-t-m-k-e-a-r-n-s i put about I you know talk about uh my writing uh mental health stuff but also then just like stupid memes so if you like any of those things um yeah. come check me out <laughs> yeah memes also it was your birthday this week right it was it was my birthday on Wednesday yes happy birthday for last Wednesday send Caitlin some birthday love <laughs> and the listeners can find the podcast at Fats on Film on Twitter and Instagram and myself, Queen Bee Says, on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and stay fat! Yay! <laughs>